Rock Terrio was a man on a mission, a mission to save himself and his followers from the coming apocalypse, which we've seen that before, right? Rock was a twisted religious extremist who forced his brainwashed followers to endure a campaign of horrific abuse across two decades in Canada. This week, we're talking Ant Hill Kids Part 1. I'm excited. It's going to be bad. It's going to be really yeah. bad. <laughs> this specifically won't be bad. This part one won't be that bad because we're going to do a lot of like the history, his background, his upbringing, all that fun stuff. But part two, hold on to your butts. <laughs> it's going to be bad. But we wanted to address something before we got into the episode today. It has come to our attention, and as we are learning and growing as human beings, that saying little dick energy or little dick or big dick or any of that stuff um, can come across as body shaming, and that's not at all what we want to do. Yeah, we're not about that. We definitely apologize 100% uh, for saying that in the past, and we want to change and do better and be better and be inclusive uh, with body parts and things like that. And Jada brought it to my attention. And so we definitely um, want to make sure that we are not, that that we are inclusive, you know, especially with the trans community and other parts of, um, you know, the LGBTQ community. We want to make sure that we are not body shaming anyone. That's not at all what we're about. So we apologize. This is our formal apology. Thank you for being with us. <laughs> for, sorry. Yes, we're sorry. To all the having people. Yes. Sorry. All of you. Um, we're going to try to do better, and we're going to say, uh, we're going to refer to unpleasant dicks as stank dicks yeah. and pleasant dicks as magic dicks from yeah. now on. Yes. I like we can just call them pleasant and unpleasant. I yes, suppose. unpleasant <laughs> and pleasant. <laughs> Stank dick and magic dick. <laughs> oh, I love it. So good. Well, I'm Alicia Galati. And I'm Jada Smith. And this is Two Sisters in a Cult. Yes, it's a podcast for your earballs. We're sister <laughs> cult survivors talking about cults. I love when you say earballs. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Every it's so time. Good. I feel like it's like part of us now. It's just, it's part of the intro. There's no changing it now. So I have a question for you, Jada. Okay. This guy, Rock Terrio, who we're going to talk about, which his, his he's French, obviously, because he's from Canada. I mean, I guess that's not obvious. He's a French Canadian. Okay. <laughs> his name is spelled Roche Theriault. <laughs> That's how okay. I would phonetically sound it out. But I listened to and I watched an investigative discovery um, with like video on it, like an hour long video. And they called him Rock Terrio. And I was like, okay, that's what we're going to call him. <laughs> I listened <laughs> to other podcasts call him Rosh Terrio, but mm -hmm. investigative discovery called him Rock. And so this dude's name is Rock. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> but. I have a question. He, this guy's a sadist, which if you don't know the difference between sadist and masochist, a sadist is someone who inflicts pain 
and enjoys that, gets sexual gratification from inflicting pain, and a masochist enjoys receiving pain, and that gives them sexual satisfaction. But I have been reading some BDSM erotica lately. (laughs) Okay. Not because of this dude. Fuck this dude. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I was going to say that's very thorough research. (laughs) No, no, no. Um, No, I... You know, I've not, I've not read erotica in quite some time, mm. and I used to love it. I feel like back when I was in Bible college, when I snuck my phone in, I would read erotica. <laughs> it was like kind of baby steps toward watching porn, right? Right. <laughs> like you read erotica, and then maybe you like dabble a little in online dating, and then you're like, because I feel like porn was like the ultimate evil, right? Yeah, yeah. All of that aside, I've been lately reading, or like reading BDSM erotica, and I've always been like sort of intrigued. And also, like, there's it gets there's certain parts of it that I don't like. Mm-hmm. Like, like I don't mind a little bit of spanking here and there. Like, if my husband did that to me, I'd be like, "What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> don't hit me," you know. But when I'm reading it, I don't mind like a little bit of spanking and he made her butt red, blah, 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 you know. (laughs) But when the whips are coming out and like the person can't sit down the next day, Mm. I mean, I get that it might turn you on, but I, it's a hard nope for me. And that is fair. fair. (laughs) I want to know your opinion on BDSM erotica. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Um. Well, I think that some things are worth exploring and other things not so much. Thank you for your point <laughs> of opinion, Jada. <laughs> All right. Let's get in, because I've been reading it a lot lately, and so I just had to ask, okay? I to know. <laughs> okay. So, Terrio was born on May 16th, 1947, to Hyacinth and Perriette, I think is how you say his name. <laughs> Ontario. They lived in French-Canadian area of uh, Quebec, Canada. He was the second of seven children. Uh, his parents were working class. He had a pretty decent like upbringing. Nothing really too weird, except that his parents were devoutly religious people. <laughs> they were Catholic, and they were members of the of Saint Michael, but. They also were part of a religious organization called the White Berets, which is a militant version of of like a group of Catholics. And huh. so they're called the White Berets because that was part of their uniform. Okay. Very creative. Right. So creative. Let's just call them the white hats. <laughs> okay. They were a weird mix of like religious stuff and politics. They were born out of the Great Depression. They pushed an ideology of democratized (laughs) consumerism, pretty much saying that a giant version of a profit-sharing co-op would work best for Canada. They were largely dismissed by economists and criticized for their anti-Semitic agenda. Yeah, that's, that's not really great, right? I don't do it. Yeah. They had like door-to-door delivery of their pamphlets and so that's how their their membership grew and of course they were very smart with the name it was called 
the journal. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Gotta love what these people come up with. So Rockterio's parents would often drag him around the city while they're doing their religious duty, dressed in their military uniforms and berets, spreading the word of the white berets. He obviously got teased for it and didn't like that. So Rock was a really smart kid. And he, man, when I was listening to the investigative, watching the investigative discovery video on him, they, the way that one psychiatrist described cult leaders, I thought was so fascinating. He used the phrase charismatic with a touch of paranoia. And I was like, oh, Mm. yes. Like, I feel like that portrays so many of the cult leaders that we've talked about. Mm Where it's like there's so much charisma and if it just kind of stopped there, they'd probably be really great like preachers. But it's the touch of paranoia that makes them start to like seclude their people and push them away and things like like pull them in, you know, toward the leader and then push away family and things like that. So I thought that was very interesting. So his teachers say that he was pretty smart. There wasn't anything really over the top about him just that he was pretty intellectual but unfortunately he only got up to seventh grade because that's as far as the local school like training went and instead of traveling he chose to work or study at home so he started reading the old testament and taught himself bible studies and english later he said about his childhood which we all know when cult leaders say in their own words anything It's usually bullshit. He said, I am from a family in which I was mistreated and beaten worse than a dog from the age of two until 14, when my father, having beaten me, threw me out of the house and told me never to set foot in it again. Friends of the family don't remember anything like that ever happening to him. So his father said, I never beat the boy, but I punished him when he needed it, which I feel like that's pretty standard for the 50s, the 1950s, Mm -hmm. right? Like nothing out of the ordinary there. But of course, Rock was like, oh, I got beat like a dog, dude. Especially because like other people in the family were like, yeah, no, that never happened. He also mentioned that he was born from an incestuous relationship, but there was no evidence of that either. Either way, it seems like, you know, especially with like cult leaders, we found they tried to victimize themselves. It's like, well, I did these terrible things because I had such a terrible childhood mm. where they play the yeah. victim a lot through their childhood, like through their life. And then when they're, they're faced with their actions, I feel, I feel like this is something that we're just now starting to teach our kids. Like it's something you kind of learned as an adult rather than being taught as a kid that you are responsible for your actions. It's always been like, well, what did so-and-so do? What did so-and-so do to you? Did so-and-so do something to you? Is that why you reacted that way? Whereas now as parents, at least I myself, and I'm sure you, we take this approach of, well, you get to decide what actions you take, no matter what is happening. And you are responsible for the outcome of your actions. So I feel like there's been a lot of like people who play the victim because they've never been taught that they are responsible for their lives. And that, you know, a lot of people are just like, life happens to me rather than 
I can be the decider of my fate and I can make choices that can make my life better and can do better for myself. So, and I get shitty things happen. You know, I'm not saying that that doesn't happen, but you still get to choose what you do. Mm -hmm. So, all right. So on November 11th, 1967, at age 20, Rock married 17-year-old Francine Grenier. She was uh, from a neighboring town. They moved to Montreal and spent the early days of their marriage seemingly happy enough. Francine gave birth to two sons, Rock Sylvain in 1969 and Francois in 1971. Rock worked as a chimney inspector, which I feel like that's a super dope job, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and things seemed to be going pretty well. They were comfortable and there wasn't really anything pretty crazy, but... Looking back at his life, this seems to be the start of the end, you know, this this point. And I think that it has, um, we'll see that he had some health issues, but I also kind of wonder if it's like Glenn and Justin Helzer. Um, when Glenn, after, you know, growing up in the church and then getting married pretty young and then doing all his, like, evangelist stuff and then how things kind of spiraled out of hand for him because he was like going through his rebellious teen phase in his 20s Mm -hmm. and so i kind of wonder if it was similar for rock i don't really know that we have enough like research and data to really say that that's what happened kind of like how we are with we are able to with glenn helzer But after developing stomach ulcers in 1971, things really started spiraling for Rock. He visited a doctor about his ulcers. He was advised to undergo surgery that would, was like very common. It would have worked, but it didn't. And so he was left with dumping syndrome, which is a side effect of the surgery that left him with constant abdominal pain. So he was prescribed medication. He quickly tossed those out and was like, nope, I'm going to self-medicate with alcohol. Oh, Lord. Yes. So he became, at this point, he starts to become like really obsessed with medicine, anatomy. He always complained that he was dying. He wasn't. (laughs) He lost work. The family had to move back to where they were from originally. And he took up woodworking and started a small business selling sculptures and small household items like mugs and plates, which I was like, wait, (laughs) how do woodworkers make plates and mugs? And then I was like, oh, they probably do. (laughs) Wooden ones. (laughs) Right, exactly. I'm like thinking, no, he's got to be in pottery to be able to do that. Oh, my God. Guys, my brain, like has not been working lately and i think it has to do with like hormones and menstrual cycle stuff which side note have you ever heard of cycle thinking no i don't think so it's not something that a lot of people can do because of the normal nine to five stuff but as a business owner and someone who can kind of regulate my schedule however i see fit what you do is you take your hormones into account you take your, uh, you know, ovulation, your period time, all of that stuff into account when you are like 
pulling out your month of, okay, this is what I need to get done. So if you have a lot of work, you wouldn't want to put that on like your period week because your energy is going to be really low. So instead put it at a different time, like this specific week, and then you're going to be highly focused. You're going to be able to get a lot of work done. So yeah, it's called cycle syncing. I'm kind of fascinated with it. Mm -hmm. And I'm probably, I know someone who teach like will help you figure that stuff out for yourself. And since my cycle is so irregular with my Depo Provera, whatever thing called, my in, arm injection thing, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm thinking about doing that because my cycle is so weird. I mean, so, yeah. how it goes. That sounds really interesting. I like yeah. That. Yeah. I might hire her in the new year. We'll see. I have not even talked mm-hmm. to her. I just have been eyeballing her content. <laughs> okay. So don't know where I was going with that, but... <laughs> <laughs> So he started uh, doing, you know, the plates and the mugs and all that stuff. He's selling those. They had to move back home. That's when he started uh, showing signs of overt sexuality, um, which was a massive turn from how he was before. So he was pretty, like, subdued, super chill. But then when the ulcers happened and he started self-medicating with alcohol, it, like, flipped his personality. I don't know if there was any uh, history of mental health issues in his family or anything like that. But, yeah. He joined a local arm of Freemasonry called Le Club Aramis. (laughs) Totally saying that, like, wrong, I'm sure. Sorry. Also not sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It was involved in the local politics. Uh, he drank more heavily and more heavily, and by 1976, he was frequenting Quebec City, um, using his woodworking as, like, an excuse to go there and pick up women. Oh, well, as one does. As one does. <laughs> and, of course, his wife is home taking care of their children, and yes. Yeah, classic. So, obviously, Francine was like, fuck this, I'm out. She, oh, good for her. Yeah, she <laughs> left him as his uh, woodworking business was running to the ground because obviously he's becoming an alcoholic. He's spending all their money, and she's just like, yeah, no. So he was bankrupt, unemployed. He was bouncing between sleeping in his car and living with a woman from Quebec City who he had had an affair with. Her name was Giselle. And Giselle really quickly realized, whoa, this dude has a serious drinking problem. Mm. That is when (laughs) Rock discovered the Seventh-day Adventist church. Oh, right in time. Right on time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so he went from Catholic upbringing to Freemasons to Seventh-day Adventists. Now, we've talked about Seventh-day Adventists before. I don't even remember when, but it was recently. (laughs) I feel like it was the Helzer ones, because they were trying to get rid of the Seventh-day Adventists, right? Was that the Mormons? Uh, Yeah. The Mormons. Anyway, pretty much, uh, Seventh-day Adventists, they believe in the Holy Trinity. They believe that the Sabbath is on Saturday instead of many uh, Christian and Jewish people believe it's on Sunday. Or no, Christians believe it's on Sunday. I don't really know about Jewish people. I think it's on Saturday as well. Yeah, that's what I, I was thinking too, but I wasn't sure. I actually have, side note, I have two clients that are Jewish. And so mm-hmm. I made 
an intention this year to reach out to all of my clients and ask them, because I'd like to send them like holiday gifts. And mm-hmm. so to ask them if they celebrate any holidays mm-hmm. in the month of December, and if so, which ones? And nice. so, yeah, and I feel really good about that, especially having grown up Christian where it's like, keep Christ in Christmas. Don't say holidays. How dare you? But I think it negates a lot of the other religions. Right. One that were yeah. along a, around a lot longer than Christianity. <laughs> and a, around alongside like, right. It's not the only one that exists. Exactly. So mm. I asked my clients and I, I did know that one of them was Jewish and I did find out that the other one is that I have another one that's Jewish by asking that question. So I was really happy about that, which I did not know how early Hanukkah was (laughs) this week. (laughs) I was like, okay, good. I asked when I did and not like 10 days before Christmas. (laughs) That would have been bad. So they believe in the second coming of Christ. A lot of their, the Seventh-day Adventist church's beliefs are very similar to evangelical Christians except that the seventh day is the Sabbath, like Saturday is the Sabbath. That's pretty much the only main difference, but they also have a very holistic lifestyle. So vegetarianism is advocated and kosher foods um, are prohibited, which I think is pretty interesting. All in all, pretty fundamentalist, but their holistic lifestyle is what attracted rock I mean, you got to think he was giving prescription pills and was like, nope, and instead instead decided to drink. But after joining this group, he was like, whoa, gave up drinking and smoking, met a small group of local Adventists. It was led by a Guadalupan pastor named Pierre Zita. Every Saturday in a motel, he heard him preach on the second coming of Christ, the importance of conservative living. And he was like, I am here for it, which I find really interesting because I feel like it's so similar to how he grew up, like with the Catholic Church, right? Mm -hmm. But he took to, he already was like super charismatic. He was very sociable. He was intelligent. And so since Rock was unemployed, he started selling Adventist literature door to door. And he was really fucking good at it. <laughs> like, no he, surprise. Right. He became like one of the top sellers. And Pierre Zita, the, the preacher, was like, okay. So he started putting him in charge of a program that was to help potential followers quit smoking. He was like, yes, I will be the workshop leader. And I feel like this is the, the first problem. If a guy doesn't have like you don't just throw somebody into the mix and make him a leader you need to make sure he has leadership qualities that he's not a psychopath or a potential cult leader right yeah i feel like that happens a lot though yeah (laughs) you got the youth pastor who thinks he's god you know like no you don't don't want this oh my god do you remember that video of that youth pastor saying like this kid was always messing around this teenager I punched him in the stomach and brought him to the Lord right there. What? Yeah. No, yeah. I don't remember that. <laughs> well, I'll send it to you after because, okay. yeah. Hey, Jesus Christ. I can't even with people. They're nuts. 
in early 1977 was when uh, Pierre gave Rock and put him in charge of this program. He embraced it, was like, fuck yeah, I am doing this shit. And he started to preach very charismatically to these young people. Okay, so these are their names. 21-year-old Solange Boulard, 19-year-old Chantel Labrie, 18-year-old Francine Laflamme, 20-year-old Nicole Ruel, 18-year-old Maurice, 24-year-old Claude Renier, 24- and 23-year-old Jacques, and his wife, yes, another Maurice. So 23- and 24-year-olds, and Josie Petier. And so these people, Josie Petier was 24. And so these people are like anywhere from 18 to 24 years old, being led by this guy who is very charismatic and wanted is like helping them to stop smoking, to live a better life, to live more holistically, all these things. So they met up on the weekends and <laughs> they would stay at Giselle's apartment while Rock gave lengthy sermons about the imminent second coming of Christ. Oh, Lord. And obviously. What does that have to do with smoking? <sighs> Well, that's how the group met initially. Okay. And so they'd go to these meetings, but then they'd be like, hey, you want to go meet up afterwards for like the after party sermon? Because <laughs> <laughs> nothing says fun like another sermon. <laughs> <Right>? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Rock was super charming. There's a lot of women in this group too. Like most of these are women. Yeah. You know, he's going all in on the second coming of Christ. He's talking about, there was a woman who met him later, Gabrielle Lavalli, and she told her, I was on the investigative discovery, it showed her telling her story. And so she was saying that he was so charismatic. And when he looked at you, you felt like his eyes were like, and he had like these very like bright blue eyes. And she said, it felt like he was just piercing you, like with his words, with his, his zealousness and just all this excitement that you felt like you belonged in this group and you belonged to something bigger and something better. And so she, she mentioned that at, that at this point she was really struggling because she didn't felt very feel very secure in herself. She didn't really know what she wanted to do with her life, which, you know, at the ages of 18 to 24, you don't really, really know what you want to do with your life. You're still kind of figuring mm -hmm. that stuff out. And that's what drew her to this group. You know, she wanted to, to be a better person. And so she, <laughs> he convinced quite a bit of the group to drop out of college drop out of school oh my god no. he said what is an education when the end of the world is coming no yeah so it's kind of like is this his early steps of isolating the group or mm. is it because he didn't want them spending time not listening to him because he's a psychopath learning or, other ideas that might contradict him right or is it just because he's like well the end of the world's coming i truly believe it so who like who cares <sighs> door number four is it just a test of control and whoever doesn't listen is bye-bye Ooh, yes i like door number four as well 
lot of options and ways that this could have gone. So during the summer of 1977, the group took off together for an Adventist retreat on the banks of La Russo in Ontario. And that's when they met Gabrielle Lobley. Uh, she was a nurse from Ontario. And they met Yolande uh, Guinebart, who was a young French woman. They quickly fell in with the group. And of course, Rock was like, welcome aboard. It'll be great. During the retreat, they reached this rocky outcrop and looking over the landscape, Rock said that he had a divine vision. The sky lit up. It was all bright. And a voice from God spoke to him and said, this is a holy place. (sighs) Obviously, that was enough to convince Rock that the best idea for the small group was to move out of the city. And after the retreat was over in October of 1977, he encouraged all of them to follow him down to the, I don't know how to pronounce this, it's B-E-A-U-C-E. Guys, I'm not French. I don't know what this is. Don't ask me. (laughs) (laughs) It was south of Quebec. They rented a two-story house and opened the Healthy Living Clinic. It was an alternative medicine place, and they used their Adventist connections to sell organic food, literature, all the things. They started wearing uniforms, the green ankle-length tunics for the women, beige tunics for the men and he himself wore a dark brown tunic of course to distinguish himself apart from the others Uh uh the clinic was doing really really good i mean they had gabrielle lavale in there so she was a nurse she was like registered licensed nurse and so having her along and then him with his homeopathic remedies it was like perfect Uh Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i don't know yeah with the tunics (laughs) Once you have a uniform, guys, <laughs> guys, you know. And why does he get the special dookie tunic? <laughs> the dookie tunic, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, because he's special and he's God, don't you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. So, they were doing really well. They were making a ton of money, attracting more followers, the works. So, one guy, Leo Mark Foucher... Falker, I don't know how to pronounce these names. Guys, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm butchering all of these names. (laughs) Joined up and quickly sold all of his possessions to help fund the clinic. Jacques Gigier and his wife, Maurice Grenier, they did the same thing. Giselle, uh, she was, that's the woman who he ran away with uh, after his wife left him, remember? Mm -hmm. Giselle is here Mm -hmm. the entire time. And she starts getting really, really fucking pissed off at all these women hanging out with her husband all the time. Young women. (laughs) She's like, listen, what's up? So she proposes to him. (laughs) Because that'll make it stop. (sighs) They got married on January 8th. 1978 at an Adventist church in Montreal. In March of 1978, so a few months later, a man by the name of Claire joined the group. His wife, Geraldine, was suffering from leukemia and she was going through treatments at a hospital in Quebec. Rock obviously was like, fuck this new remedy treatments. Visited Geraldine in the hospital. Started fighting with the doctors about the treatments. He didn't like that they were using drugs. He convinced her husband to check her out of the hospital. Y'all. Oh, no. She has leukemia and she's going through treatments and he convinces the husband to check his wife out of the hospital. 
says, bring her to my clinic. I will treat her with my homeopathic remedies. And so he did. The husband brought Geraldine. Rock would not let Geraldine's father visit the clinic. And you want to know what his prescription was? More cowbell. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> his prescription was grape juice and organic foods. Shut up. I'm not kidding. If it was that easy, she would have just done that at home. Jeez. Geraldine died in the clinic soon no. thereafter. Oh, I'm so sorry. I, um, I was talking to a Christian, the, a Christian person the other day. Um, uh, how was that? <laughs> <laughs> no, they, um, it was actually really encouraging. They said that their view on medicine is that God can heal people, but he can also use medicine to heal people, which is a viewpoint I can respect. Yeah. Because, I mean, if, if God is what Christians believe him to be, then like it's not going to be a giant hand coming down from the sky and being like, yep, there you go. You're good. Go on your way. Yeah. It's, his hands are going to be here. We are going to be the hands. Yeah, that's true. Other human beings. In the same sense, it kind of um, also makes me think of, it's so hard for my brain to accept both, like the good and the bad of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Of the Christian God, because yeah, no, yeah. so many people are like, well, it happened for a reason, or your child died for a reason, or you were raped yeah. as a child for a reason. And and I, mm, I'm all about making the most of your situations, but I also, to say that God lets something happen for his will is fucking sadistic, and I do not. Yeah, yeah. But I can respect that other people might believe that, and that's fine. I just personally have a lot of issues with it. There's a Stephen Fry quote where he's like talking to a priest, I believe. He's like, um, there are insects whose sole purpose is to burrow into the eyes of children and make them go blind. What kind of a God is going to, why? You yeah. couldn't have given us a world without that? <laughs> yeah, that would have been nice, right? Right. But then you'll also hear people say, well, it's because of humanity's sin, which it's like, but my child didn't sin. Yeah. Child. <laughs> like, yeah, there's so much to it. I can't. We yep. don't need to get into that today. <laughs> <laughs> so, Seventh-day Adventist. Yes. So, Geraldine died in the clinic. Rock told his followers that he had brought her momentarily back to life by kissing her. But then he said, of course, it didn't work continuously only the one time and then she died again because when god wants people he takes them quote it was geraldine's time so through his anti-smoking workshops he started meeting uh the parents of ms sufferer gabrielle nadeau nadeau god these names i'm so sorry guys <laughs> gabrielle nadeau uh who now who now checked their daughter into the clinic to undergo his treatments no. Yeah, so he's starting to get like a lot of publicity with this, and it's getting really bad. The Adventists back in Quebec are not really happy with the news that they're hearing coming from the clinic that Rock is doing all of this stuff and that he is not letting parents see their kids, and it's just getting to be a lot. And Pierre Zita, the preacher back in Quebec, is like, um, nope. <laughs> like, he starts meeting with parents of Rock's followers to persuade them to bring their kids home. He tries to convince Giselle, the wife, to try to leave Rock. And it became the point where 
that he was not like nobody was listening and he was becoming too persuasive. Mm -hmm. And so Pierre had to excommunicate rock from the Adventist church just to like say, look, we are not going to be affiliated with this dude. We are not affiliated with his um, clinic, none of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So by doing that, that made the clinic not really work that great. Um, anymore because they didn't have the like backing of the Adventists, their literature, none of that stuff. And so the business started to suffer. Mm. He started doubling down on like meddling in his followers' lives. He paired a few of the followers together, even though neither of the couple, like none of so he paired two couples together, even though neither of the part, like any of the parties were interested in each other. Oh, Lord. Yes. For so, what? For what? I, Why? I think it was his attempt to unite them even further mm. legally. And Blech. so if he had ties to the women of like, I'm this charismatic leader, and you can't make decisions without me, and all mm-hmm. of this stuff, then if the husband comes in, if he was already thinking about leaving, like this man is thinking about leaving because of whatever, then he's now tied to this group because his wife is. Yeah. So. Gross. Yeah. So the clinic wasn't doing well. And in July of 1978, he moved the group to Fleur St. Laurent, where they stayed for a month. That's where he said, guys, listen. Uh, so in July, he said on February 17th of 1979, the next year, that's going to be the end of the world. Guys, we've said it. (laughs) We'll say it again. Don't put a date on the end of the year of the world. (laughs) If you want to be a successful cult leader, we should write a book called, if you want to be a successful cult leader. (laughs) Oh my God, let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Don't put a date on the end of the year. It's not, no. (laughs) Your prophecies will expire and they will not age well. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love that so much. Uh, so he said a storm of boulder-sized hail would fall from the sky. There's going to be earthquakes, huge lightning storms, and that they were going to be... Oh, yeah. No, I remember the lightning storms of 79. <laughs> right? Yes. Oh, man, that February 17th lightning storm it was nuts. <laughs> <laughs> so they headed out on foot to where they found their temporary home. They lived on a small hill. It had a little lake there. Um, and they started creating like this communal wood cabin. This is the part where Gabrielle Lavallee said that you, they were working so many hours. Their food was rationed. All of this stuff. They were just working their butts off so much that... They couldn't even have time to think for themselves. And Mm. this is where they get the name, the Ant Hill Kids. Because Rock said they look like little ants working. Somebody castrate him. Oh, he gets his, believe me. Oh, good. It's good. good. But I have a question. Um, So why did they move if the world is ending? So they wanted to be in their little communal area. Um, Before they were living in that, like, it was a smaller town. But it was where the clinic was. Mm. And so when the clinic died out, 
they needed somewhere else to go. And so they got this, they just went to this patch of land. It was in the middle of nowhere. One reporter said that she tried, like it was in the middle of Bush, like middle of nowhere. You don't know where you're going or what's left, what's right. You need a compass. And there's just like thick woods everywhere. Wow. Yeah. And so they, you know, pitched tents, started construction on a wooden cabin, uh, Rock christened the patch of wilderness and said, this is going to be our home. It's going to be called Eternal Mountain. God, these people with their naming shit. <laughs> that should also be included in our book, How to Be a Successful Cult Leader. Have some fun names. Don't, right? Don't, no, Use no your practice. gosh dang imagination. Yes. <sighs> and they got some new uniforms. Dark blue wraps. It was easier to work in. And they did that a lot. They were worked 17 hours per day. They had to dig a well. There was lack of sleep. He started rationing their food. And they learned really quickly that if they complained or acted disgruntled about tiredness or having to work so much, it was met with even further restrictions on the meager rations that they were already getting. Wow. So you learned, don't complain. This proved too much for some of them. Yolande, the the French woman, she fled back to France, France, saying that her passport was out of date. Leo Marc Faucher, he did not have anything. He had already gave, like, given all of his possessions to the clinic. He decided to turn tail and was like, yep, nope. By September, the cabin was completed. So that was July to September. Very quickly, they got this thing up. Mm-hmm. And he decided to rename everybody with biblical names. No, not again. Yep. This guy's like cult leader 101. <laughs> Seriously. And, like, everything he did was like, yep. Yep. Basic bitch. Basic bitch is right. (laughs) Obviously, he didn't skip over himself. No, no. (laughs) His name was Moses. Of course it was. Yep. Yeah. A lot of people, a lot of people in the group affectionately called him Pappy and his wife was Mammy. He then dissolved all marriages within the group except his own and married all the women. No, not again. <laughs> like everything he does is literally like, <laughs> not again. I love that. <laughs> yep. 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 And they just like did that also. Yeah. They, they just yep. were like, yes, we are married. Yeah. He now we- had nine wives, including the one legal <laughs> one he had, which I'm like, guys, <sighs> one is enough. All right. I was talking to my husband about that the other day. He's like, these dudes, where are they? Utah with all the wives? I can't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, right. like, Sometimes I just want quiet. That's too many people talking to me. <laughs> right. I was and like, that brings us back to Klaus. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> Get out no, of there. Take it. Go. <laughs> Get out of there. <laughs> um, and we're at the we're at the wonderful six year old stage where we don't stop talking ever. <laughs> My six year old, he just will not <laughs> shut up. And I'm not gonna tell him shut up because it's not mm-hmm. nice to say to anyone. 
But I do tell him, Jude, I need you to be quiet. <laughs> need mm-hmm. you to not talk right now. I, I just want to eat my food. Can we talk about this <laughs> later? <laughs> like I'm just trying to eat in some semblance of quiet. <sighs> y'all, y'all know. I've been there. It's a fun age. <laughs> yeah, depending on um how he turns out what kind of human he turns out to be it may or may not last for several more years up to and including the rest of his life yeah and that's fine <laughs> if it's elsewhere when he's grown <laughs> <sighs> so he did stop short of marrying one of the women who was already married before they joined the group so like there was the one couple Mm. who joined their anti-smoking group and so he did not marry her uh, because Jacques the husband was still not entirely set on this whole thing Mm. like he wasn't like all in really he was like yeah you know he's like I've got you know we've got provisions we're taking care of we're growing our own food we're living this communal life I got my wife it's fine but He wasn't, like, totally sold on everything that was happening. One evening, one of the women confessed to Giselle that she had slept with Rock while they were building the cabin. Giselle decided, I need to leave. She fled into the surrounding woods, but Rock chased her down, choked her, and demanded that she return, which she did. And then she killed him in his sleep? No. (laughs) Nope. Nope, nope. This is just the beginning. (sighs) Remember, there's a part two. And the part two is worse <laughs> than this part. <laughs> so in the outside world, news of Jonestown had started to spread. Due to the new threat, police started watching his group in November of 1978. But he was like, look, I'm going to submit myself to police for psychological evaluation. I'm That way everybody knows I'm chill. There's nothing wrong with my group. There's nothing wrong going on. During the psychological evaluation, He utilized his skills to charm people, to be a sociopath, (laughs) and told the psychiatrist that the group was a democracy, that there was no real leader per se. He told them that they lived in peace without promiscuity, and since the police had nothing on him, they simply had to admit that while he was clearly eccentric, he hadn't done anything wrong that they could really pinpoint. (laughs) Obviously, that's not what was happening within the group. Um... He started drinking again. He abandoned his Adventist diet. He started eating and drinking milk, meat, cheese, all those things that he wasn't supposed to be. And the group started struggling financially. And so he started to prostitute Gabrielle out to oh my a local God. grocer in order to supply them with food. Why didn't he just suck the grocers? <laughs> I fucking hate when dudes do that. Like, bro. You're the one that's down on your luck who started this shit. Get on your fucking knees. Yep. He would stand at the head of the large communal cabin, giving long, drunken sermons. And if anyone in the group fell asleep or complained, he would beat them with a four-inch thick club or punch them in the torso, which was a punishment that he dished out to a pregnant Maurice. Oh, my God. Breaking two of her ribs because she'd eaten more than her share of pancake rations one morning. Oh, my God. If anyone gave him any reason for feeling aggravated or annoyed, he made them stand naked outside. Rain, snow, didn't matter. (sighs) 
Somebody needs to remove his prostate with that four-inch club. Yeah. It gets worse, guys. Episode Fuck two this is guy. Episode two. What? Worse than breaking a pregnant woman's ribs? Yeah. It gets I, like I had to pause the video at one point because I wanted to throw up. It's really Oh my bad. god. I'm not excited anymore. No. <laughs> it's not exciting. <laughs> You'll be excited when he dies. He dies really epically. Okay, yeah. Uh-huh. So one of the women, Francine, wrote a letter. And this is one of the letters that like describes their devotion. Hello, Pappy. I am writing about what you said on the subject of nutrition. It is very true that I nibble and a damnable fault, which I will never again repeat. The thought of ingesting such a large quantity of food in so little time discourages me. They're already near starvation. Like Jesus. their food is literally rationed and she got shit for gobbling down her food. And this is the And he's eating to. milk and meat and all that bullshit. Yeah. You know what? So she says, even if I work outside the entire day without eating, I ask that you forgive me. If it is stealing, I did not realize it. It is this fault which caused my pl- causes my plumpness. I do not want to be a fat and plump servant. That is too ugly next to the man that you are. I don't know what to think about everything and the meaning of my actions. I only know that I will not repeat them. And I do not speak lightly. I wish to be a true servant to you, my master. Alert. Mm-hmm vigorous and with a clear and lively spirit and well-balanced to serve you every moment of my life i have a long way to go thank you pappy i love you dear god so february 17th 1979 came and went as we well know (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah the lightning storms i remember (laughs) yeah (laughs) rest assured it didn't matter because rock told everybody Time passes for God different than it does for us. Oh, there's a different 1979. That's why there's so much confusion on when the exact date is. It's fine. End of times, it's still coming. We just don't know anymore when. But it's coming soon. Uh Anybody leave at this point? Yes. In April 1979, Jacques Fassette left and Rock told the group that he'd been taken by the devil. And when Maurice Grenier, who was the one who was married to Jacques Grenier, uh, or Gigier, whatever, they had different last names. Um, When the, the couple who was married previous to the group, when the wife told the husband that she wanted to leave, he ordered the husband to cut off one of her toes with an axe as punishment. Dude. And he did so without hesitation. I thought he was the guy who yep. wasn't. No. Yep. Oh, my God. Chantel, was he just waiting I, for a chance to get in on the action? I think Is so. that why he wasn't sure yet? He was like, mm, I don't like how he's the only one who gets to brutalize people. Yeah, I think at this point they were so overworked and so malnourished that mm, it was like... He really took advantage of that yeah. cabin fever situation. Yeah. Shit. Also in April of 1979, Chantal Labrie's parents obtained a court order to remove their daughter from the commune to uh, undergo psychological evaluation. And when the police showed up, they he just said, nope, you're not allowed in here. I don't think that's how it would work now. <laughs> yeah i don't think that's they didn't like ask to lay eyes on her or anything no i don't know dead that's crazy so 
Four days later, a Quebec newspaper published an article titled, They are happy and free to leave if they wish, which included an interview with Jacques Fossette, who had recently left. Ten police showed up in a helicopter and landed on the Eternal Mountain, arrested Rock for obstruction of justice, and ordered him to take another psychological evaluation. It was carried out at Quebec Hospital. And he not only aced his evaluation, he actually convinced his testers that he had saved his followers from a life of depravity and drugs. The director of the hospital started calling him Moses and publicly expressed, like, annoyance at the fact that Rock was being, you know, pushed through all these suspicions because of his alternative lifestyle. He was released early and judged fit to stand trial for obstruction of justice, and he was given a one-year suspended sentence. During the trial, the media began printing stories of Rock, portraying him as a victim of prejudgments, and the whole affair only proved to strengthen the ties between Rock and his followers when the MS sufferer, Gabrielle Nadu, fell into a coma and died shortly after his return. The authorities denied Rock from burying her at the foot of the mountain um, and instead removed her body for an autopsy. Gabrielle's autopsy did not show any evidence of foul play and it only strengthened Rock's us versus them mentality within his group. And that is the end of part one. (laughs) Jeez. Yeah. (sighs) Hold on to your butts because the next one's going to be really rough. I we might I might cry. It's really bad. Ugh. Yeah. Um gratitude bits. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh so I this is gonna sound really silly and like menial and trivial, but I am really excited about my new Van Gogh baby Yoda t shirt. Nice. <laughs> nice. I'm just I'm excited. I love graphic t shirts. And I love Star Wars graphic t-shirts. And when you throw in a Van Gogh-esque artistic liberties to it, it's just mm-hmm. magical as fuck. Pixar, it didn't happen. Yes. It's in the wash now. Chris is washing it. So Pixar and it will happen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what about you? I am grateful for, gosh, the list goes on. My job. Yeah. My kid, my food, my <laughs> hair, my house. No. <laughs> I uh, recently bought myself some driving lessons. Ooh, so I'm excited about here. that. I'm thankful to me. Thank you. Thank you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm excited about that. So yay. Yeah. That is exciting. Yay. Good for you. Woo. Thanks. Awesome. Were you in a cult? Do you have a favorite cult? Is there a cult you want us to cover? Or do you just have a funny, crazy, cool experience you want to share with us? You can send us your stories at twosisterscult at gmail.com. And we would love it if you sent us some love on our Patreon. We have a weekly show that is free. If you'd like to support us, it helps to support the show, offset the cost of making the show, all that fun stuff. You can go to twosisterscult.com, click on Patreon on the top menu. You get exclusive perks like a shout-out on the show, access to our top-secret Facebook community. And if you join at the $10 level, you get a cult sticker and exclusive monthly bonus full-length episodes that are not going to be available on the podcast. 
those episodes are going to go live starting January 2021. So if you're listening to this in the future, join us. <laughs> we also have some pretty sweet merch available in our shop. There's uh, decal stickers, t-shirts, lots of other fun stuff. So come visit us and click on the shop in the menu at twosisterscult.com. And the best way for you to help us out on the show is to like, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Podcast Addict, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to tell a friend who you think would like us. And if you share your review with us, just send us a screenshot of it. We love sharing that stuff on our Instagram, so we will give you a shout out on there as well. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and wherever you get your podcast at Two Sisters Cult. So come hang out with us. Catch you on the flip side. And don't join that cult. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Nope. Yeah.